0: Don't just pat yourself on the back if, if it works for a patient, you got to think why. And then when you use the same one again and it hasn't worked, don't just go, oh, that patient was stupid. You got to figure out why. And that's how you learn. You've got to prove this all to yourself every single little bit, every, every herb. You've got you've to prove how it works to yourself so you know it. I'm
1: Michael Max, and this is Geological. The world is made up of stories. I know this sounds poetic, but I found it to be true. All religions have an inciting moment, a creation story, if you will. So do political movements, love affairs, businesses, exercise programs, superfoods, that new car you're thinking about buying, and the troubles that drive your patients into your office for a visit. At its core, there's a story. It could be the story of some errant cells who have decided that they want to run your organism, but they don't know anything about running an organism. It could be the story of genetics gone bad or an unlucky break. It might be the tale of too much use or sensitivity or an agreement that something runs in the family. We get attached to our stories. They give us a comfortable sense of understanding in a world that is distressingly chaotic. Stories provide a kind of certainty, a sense of membership, and an identity that carves us out of them. Stories are a way of pulling meaning out of experience, how we line up on one side or the other. Behind our demands, dreams, disenchantment, and distress, there's a story. Our story of the world is intimately entangled with how we perceive and prescribe the world. The power of the stories we carry is an invisible influence that shapes everything from the kind of pasta bought at the grocery store to your thoughts about the morning habits of your partner or spouse. Stories pull their power from the feelings entangled within them, and especially when they're unquestioned. What's the meaning that you made when that patient lay canceled and didn't offer to pay you? And what are the feelings that went with that? And what did you tell yourself about your reaction to that? What's the story that goes with, I'm afraid to raise my prices? That goes with, they should respect me more. That goes with, the third time you've seen someone and nothing at all appears to have changed. Identity is fragile as it's a construct in our mind, and it seems solid as we are constantly arguing for our limitations, biases, and membership in the tribe that gives us a sense of connection and protection. How many of the stories you heard as a child are the foundational stories of your present day life? When is the last time you considered dismantling limiting belief, decided that anger was powerful fuel but... Not helpful as a steady diet. That angst was helpful for breaking the spell of a story, but it's not so useful for building a new generative one. Many of the stories that shape the meaning of our lives come from culture. Do you live in a world of opportunity or a world of oppression? Do you play the cards of weakness or of strength? The stories we hold about money, authority, and power open or close the aperture on opportunity, merit, and capacity. That inner sense of worthiness, look to your story as on what you hold to have value and consider defining yourself by what you are rather than by what you're not. We think about chi as something that is both connective and functional. And when it comes to tissues like the fascia, again, We think of something formed that is connective in profound ways. Consider that the fluids of the body are also an aspect of our physiology that connects the various aspects of our body together. There's not a place within that space just under your skin to the very depth of your bones that is not in some way touched with the fluids of the body. In a moment, we're going to get into a conversation with Steve Clavey and discuss the importance of the fluids in Chinese medicine. These geological conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Need to fill up the appointments created by late cancellations? Jane can help with that problem. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AcuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, listen for a special offer from Andrew Sturman on Diet as Medicine and the folks at Blue Poppy share some thoughts on the safety of herbal medicine. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. <music>
2: Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit mayway.com to find the perfect plum flower brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore whenever you need a break. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies, and enjoy bits of Chinese culture. This month, we're focusing on the treatment of various skin concerns like itchy skin and stubborn acne. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our skin health formulas this month too. Just visit Meiwei.com. This season and every season, trust meiwei for your health and wellness needs. And as always, thanks for supporting Real Chinese Medicine.
1: Change is never easy. This is evidenced by the fact that the scales weighing the number of people on the green side of change versus the number of people on the old, hard-on-the-planet ways of doing things are still way out of balance. Our planet is suffering, but our profession has an easier way to shift the scales. The founders of AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles started with a great needle and then created our industry's first eco-friendly packaging and reusable accessories. They also give back to nature by planting trees. I encourage you to challenge yourself to make the change. Ride the wave of spring yang chi and make the switch by joining me and the multitude of colleagues who made the change. Now you can celebrate Earth Month in April with pride knowing that you are helping us to tip the scales of planetary health towards a greener, healthier, and healing planet. Visit www.acufastneedles.com to get on board. You've probably already heard me here on the podcast share about Jane, my favorite all-in-one practice management software that helps you to run your practice online and manage no-shows. The team at Jane understands that life happens, and sometimes that means your patients are unable to make their scheduled appointment. If that's the case, a quick and easy way to fill those unexpected gaps in your day is by utilizing Jane's time-saving waitlist management features. You can take advantage of automated SMS text or email notifications to notify eligible waitlisted patients that there's an opening so they can easily scoop up in available time. If you know you're ready to sign up, You can mention the show or use the code cheological for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Visit jane.app to get started today. Some of the problems that can arise and how our thinking needs to shift to address various pathologies that can be manifested by the fluids. No pun intended here, this guy wrote the book on fluid physiology and pathology in Chinese medicine. Blood and Qi get a lot of play in our medicine and we're often looking at the pathologies and the difficulties engendered by these two very important aspects of Chinese medicine. But often we overlook the importance of the fluids and so I'm delighted to sit down here with Steve Clavey and have this conversation on fluid physiology and pathology. Let's get into this. Steve Clavey, welcome back to Geological.
0: Hi, Michael. Nice to see you again, hear your voice.
1: Wonderful, get to hang out with you. I remember meeting you when I was in acupuncture school. That was back in the mid-90s, and there was this book that had just come out called Fluid Physiology and pathology in Chinese medicine. And as a beginning student of Chinese medicine, I thought, well, that's a boring title. But then I started reading the book because it was well recommended by my teachers. And I was just at the beginning of learning Chinese medicine and the way, and, and learning Chinese herbal medicine at that. And something about the way that book was written, maybe because it was so clued into one thing fluids. It really, (coughs) it really helped me to start to get a grasp of how this herbal medicine thing works, that there's a method to the madness, so to speak. I am, and there's so many different ways that we can use our herbal medicine. What drew you to doing this classic of the fluids?
0: Mm, Oh, that's a good question. Actually, it was Jerry Cantor. Jerry Cantor. Yeah, Jerry Cantor is a friend of mine from Boston, and we were together at the uh, second advanced international acupuncture course at the Nanjing College, Nanjing College, in 1981. And uh, Jerry was obsessed with phlegm. He actually actually got into a there's a lot of stories I could tell about that time. he, (laughs) He got into a shouting match with a phlegm Nazi. The
1: phlegm Nazi,
0: yeah, otherwise known as an uh, expectoration, an expectoration uh, monitor, because in those days, I don't know if when you were in China, in those days, everybody spit everywhere. So if you wanted phlegm samples, all you had to do was look at the grills on the street, and you'd have these green blobs hanging down that were just totally gross. But Jerry, let's say, expectorated. And was immediately hauled up by this guy saying, Hey, La Wai, ginger chu tan, funny wu mao. You know, hey, foreigner, you can't spit, right? It's forbidden to spit. I'm gonna fine you five mao, right? Which is like 50 cents or something, right? And so, and you know, even in those days, tying your shoe would gather a crowd. Oh, does the foreigner tie his shoe the same way? So these guys, so the phlegm monitor hauling up Jerry immediately gathered a crowd. And Jerry said, of course, the guy's speaking Chinese and Jerry's replying in English. And Jerry's saying, you know, this is great. I think, you know, you're not giving me any slack just because I'm a foreigner. I think that's really, that shows some really good work ethic. And the guy thinks that he's objecting. So he starts yelling. And Jerry starts yelling back, wow, you know, you really do know your job. This is fantastic. <laughs> With the crowd standing around, it's, it's hilarious. Anyway, that's, that's just a, telling you what Jerry is like. But Jerry insisted, once he found out I could read Chinese, he insisted that I do something on phlegm. So I did some translations on phlegm, and I thought, oh, this is sort of interesting. And, and uh, well, you know what it's like when you write a book one of the things you're really desperately worried about is that you'll get finished with this book that takes years and years. And just as you're about to publish it, somebody comes out with exactly the same thing. <laughs> right. So I sort of expand. I thought nobody's going to do fluids. Nobody's going to do phlegm. And I've been right. Nobody else <laughs> has ever, <laughs> done it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, it's still, it's still like the go-to book on phlegm fluids thin phlegm. I love that expression of some hot phlegm with Jerry
0: in the, in the monitor. Oh yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah. And I've often thought I should have done, should have done, um, the fluids book and then the other two medium that the body has to move things around the body, chi and blood. But you know, that would have been a life's work. And I got caught up in the uh, materia medica with Dan. So, and that took seven years. The fluid book took five, And the Materia Medica took seven, so. So you've got some time now. It could Uh, be a trilogy. I'm working on a, actually, I'm doing a resource book for uh, gynae, because that's what I've been doing for 30 years is gynecology, basically. And I thought, you know, it would be great if people had, when I have a sticky case, when I have something, or I just want to do something different, I'll look into a bunch of resources that I have next to my desk or on the shelf or something and i thought it'd be great if people had something like this that they could just what's been done for this over the centuries and so i've been putting mm. together a resource book for gynecology but i'm thinking i've sort of talked with dan about this and he went oh, are you sure you want to do that so uh, but yes i think i do and uh, i'm starting with the postpartum and breast i think because there isn't that much there's lots on periods Lots on pregnancy, but not many people do much on postpartum things. And then there's breast disorders and unusual stuff, uh, too. So so I'm putting that together slowly, slowly, a little bit of fiction here and there and, and so on.
1: And your clinical work. And the clinical work. And the clinical yeah, work, cool. which, of course, it all sort of pivots around clinic. You know, fluids, I think, is really interesting. And, and hearing you talk about that they're related to the other circulatory substances in the body, blood and qi. The thing about fluids I find really interesting is that they go everywhere. And, you know, we hear about, like, the triple burner being this great communication highway, but it seems to me in some ways it is the fluids themselves that are a kind of communication
0: mechanism. Because because they circulate freely, they go everywhere— yeah, that's right, and I mean, even even just the Sanjiao uh, concept is fantastic. We're learning so much more about this new system that they've discovered, and you know, it's not going to be long before suddenly they're going, oh, gee, maybe Chinese. You know, they won't say it, of course. No, remember back in the day, they discovered endorphins because they they researched how could acupuncture po- possibly work for anesthesia. And They discovered endorphins, but you'll never hear endorphins, never hear acupuncture mentioned when they talk about endorphins mm. these days.
1: Other, th- other than acupuncture stimulates endorphins. Mm. That's what well, say. it's just
0: that they wanted to find out how could acupuncture work? How does it work for anesthesia? And through in the course of researching that, they discovered the whole endorphin thing. I, I, I could be wrong, but uh, but uh. You know, nowadays, if you ever hear them talking about endorphins, you never hear them talk about, oh, we discovered it because we were looking at acupuncture. So it'll be the same thing when we talk about the Sanjiao and this system, this lymph, this whole connected symptom uh, system throughout the body that they've discovered recently, having so much impact. And we're going, hey, hey, that sounds very much like our Sanjiao.
1: That rhymes with the triple burner.
0: Yeah, and at one point they might go, yeah, maybe they did have something, but then that'll disappear and they won't give us any credit. Uh,
1: no, probably not. But uh, And they've got a great name for it. They call it the interstitium. Yeah. It's a great name. And when you think about how we talk about the Sanjiao, the
0: word interstitium is a great translation. That's yeah, perfect. Well, I mean, Sanjiao has so many connections, if you think about it. I mean, it's really... It's got a biaoli relationship uh, with the pericardium, right? So it's mm-hmm. connected to the heart. It's got a same name relationship with gallbladder, shao yang, mm-hmm. uh, And so it's connected to the liver. And so it, it lifts that yang qi from the kidneys, lifts that up. And then it drains down into the bladder. So if you, if you look at it, I mean, San Sanjiao has that ministerial fire aspect. You've got all that. If you're thinking of that yin-yang symbol with the rising on the left and the descending on the right, you can mm-hmm. really see you've got the gallbladder, which is liver. That's wood coming up on the left, goes up to the heart then you've got that heart and kidney connection. So it's got that ascending aspect and then the draining down aspect on the other side. It covers all of that, right? So it's got that lifting yang and then it drains down into the urinary bladder. So, I mean, the thing about Sanjiao is it distributes that Yuan Qi from the kidneys. And the Yuan Qi is the basis for all that Qi transformation that happens throughout the body. I mean, Yuan Qi is really, is really, is really pretty fascinating. So, you know, all the Yuan source points are on these, on the wrists and the ankles and the, and the feet, all the things that have to move around. And this is where the Taoist, uh, the Taoist uh, movement activities are so, are so useful. You got Tai Chi with the hands moving. It's all stimulating the Yuan Qi, which helps us make that Qi transformation. And also, I mean, here I've got, a, I've got a quote from Zhang Zhongjing, first chapter of the Jinggui Yao Wei. He says, the cuo which is the interstitial spaces or crevices in the surface tissues on the exterior of the body and the organs, that's the exterior surfaces of the organs, are the place where the san zhao moves and gathers the yuan the original true. The uh, the original true qi, the places which are suffused with qi and blood. So right there, it links it to the interstitium that you're talking about. You were probably hinting, aiming me toward that quote, weren't you, Michael?
1: Well, I figure you probably got a cu- – I think you've got a couple of quotes up your sleeve knowing you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the other thing that I find fascinating about the Sanjiao and the interstitium both, this interstitium – they didn't really discover it until they were working on very fresh tissue that yeah. still yeah. had fluid right. in it.
0: That's right. That's right. Oh, they cut it all out. It's not not good for anything. Throw it away.
1: We can't even see it without the fluid, evidently. Yeah. It just it hardly even shows up. But when it's perfused with fluid, oh, now now we're beginning to see function and form come together.
0: Exactly. So, you know, as we've always said, Chinese medicine works on the living person, Western medicine is based on the dead person. So, you know, when they, when they do, uh, I was at a uh, conference, actually a fluids conference in Canberra a couple of years ago, they invited me up to give a talk. And one of the other speakers was somebody, she was an artist, but she also had worked in Ah, uh, dissection rooms. Mm-hmm. And so her contribution was basically talking about the interstitium and 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 fat. And she said, you know, when they do a, a dissection, uh, they just cut all that stuff out. They just they cut out the fat and the interstitial types, fl- uh, tissues, just throw it away because they're not interested in that. They're interested in tendons, they're interested in blood vessels. They're not interested in that sort of stuff. It's really fascinating.
1: They never bothered to look. In, until recently,
0: yeah. Well, yeah. So what's fascinating is how we're sort of ahead of the game there, I think. And you know, uh, Bruce Bentley.
1: Yes, cupping master of the universe. Yeah,
0: the cupping master is doing so much interesting work with cupping, dealing with that interstitium and how it can, how you can drag the fluids with these. He uses those flexible cups and he's dragging the cups along. It makes a really, it's really quite, quite. Quite interesting what he's doing. Yes. Did you ever end up getting him on your show?
1: Not yet. There's a place for him. I can't wait. Mr. Bentley, if you're listening. Anyway, yeah, anyone who has any interest in cupping, Bruce Bentley's perspective and experience on that is extraordinary. Nobody quite like him. Cupping mastery of the universe, like I say. Mm. So this is kind of a sidebar question. I know you're not an osteopath. But I know you have friends who are osteopaths, and and a lot of people <laughs> that do Chinese medicine sometimes do some osteopathic-type stuff. They kind of go together in a way. They rhyme in certain ways. One of the things that, that like cranial osteopaths talk about a lot is the thing they call
0: the fluids and the fluid tides. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. I've, I've heard some vague things. I think you, you know more about that than I do.
1: Okay. Well, I'm, maybe... But I yeah I just wanted to put it out there and see if uh, that had come across your
0: radar at all. Well, not not really. Um, uh, I know Dan does a lot of really interesting things with feeling, feeling fluids, and I've been on a been on a um, you know he really emphasizes that sensitivity that you have to have, and, and you were trained in that at, at, at with uh, with Dan, and how you feel things, and man, it's pretty impressive.
3: Hello everyone, Andrew Sturman here. I've been working with clients in Chinese medicine dietary therapy for over two decades in New York City. My focus is beautiful, simple, delicious, and health supportive home cooking. Good meals can be inspired by the strategies of classic herbal formulas so that each meal is infused with medical intention from appetizer to dessert. This requires an understanding of the energetic properties of grains, vegetables, meats, fruits and more, and knowing which foods are moistening, drying, building, clearing, warming or cooling, as well as their directionality. I've organized these teachings in my two-volume book series, Welcoming Food, where you can learn this theory, practice it in your own kitchen, and love doing so. See the positive reviews and incredible testimonials from practitioners and patients who've brought this material into their own kitchens. Welcoming food books one and two can easily be found online, and if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, where I'll be posting cooking tutorials, you can find me at Welcoming Food. Back to you, Michael. Thanks very much.
1: Well, I'm kind of dead wood, but you know, I do my best with it. Mm-hmm. You know, so fluids. Uh, one of the <laughs> things that I have found in in practicing medicine is I. I have an idea about how things work, and it's sometimes helpful uh, until the point where it isn't. And then I have to start like thinking about new ideas or new ways of approaching things. And so I'm wondering if you have some thoughts about issues that could be fluid issues, but we don't think of them as fluid issues. We might look at it as something else. Are there are there things in your experience that that you see maybe in your clinic or like working with other people or working with students. And and for you, oh, this is obviously a fluid issue, but but maybe people don't see it as such. In other words, are there things that we are overlooking in our practice that maybe we should be
0: considering the fluids when we're not when we're not doing that. Yeah, that's a great question. There's a lot of things and it's only even when writing the book it wasn't all that clear to me, but and I'm talking about thin mucus here. You know, the yin of tanyin. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's. It took me a long time to grok that uh, concept, even though I'd written about it. So, I mean, the thing about yin, the thin mucus, is it's substantial, and it's gathered in specific areas. So, tanyin. Most of the tanyin is gathered in. In the trunk area, so it'll be either in the intestines, or it'll be under the ribs, or it'll be in the chest. Although there is a type of tiny an e yin which is uh, flows out to the limbs, but a lot of these, a lot of things we think about, uh, we don't we don't think about thin mucus. But sometimes it is so obvious it just hits you in the face, Uh, like people who have gurgling in the intestines. Or a patient I had who said who worked in a in a, a betting store and he said, look, every couple of hours I have to go out in the parking lot and I just throw up clear fluid. Hmm. I just throw up clear fluid. Well, this is Tanyin. This is uh, yin thin mucus in the stomach and intestines, and that's the only thing he could do to uh, get rid of it. But one really common one that comes up, and this is a tip from the Shanghan Lun guy uh, Liu Zhuzhou, uh, Liu Jujo, he said, look, if you see a wet, pale tongue, so it's flabby, it's wet, actually dripping, and the patient has palpitations or they've got dizziness, think about uh lingue jugantang. And I've taken that that suggestion and just use those four herbs for that sort of uh, that sort of thing, and it's fantastic. The key is that wet, dripping, pale tongue. And now, when I see that, as soon as I see that, I think, okay, lingwei Gan tang. That might be a really useful formula. Now it's big doses for all of those. We're, you know, like lingwei, fu ling, guajer, baiju, gancao, tang is lingwei Gan tang. So you're talking like 30 grams of fu 15 grams maybe of guajer, uh, 30 grams of baiju. Uh, 10 grams of gansal, for example. So it's just four herbs, but you're talking about a substantial substantial dose there. You might get away with less, but the bigger doses, you definitely get results. So if they have that pale tongue, pale, wet tongue, and they're dizzy, or pale, wet tongue, and they're getting palpitations, especially when they lie down at night, that's classic uh, thin mucus or fluid just coming up and affecting the heart. And then something, again, for dizziness, another one from the uh, from the Jingwei, which is uh, xie Tang. and again, it's just those two herbs, Zhiatang mm-hmm. and Baiju. So and simple. Big dose, big dose of you know, like thirty grams, and then twelve grams of Baiju. And again, that works really well. So I'll often work that into a uh, into a, a dizziness type of type of formula. But things like asthma or pleurisy or edema, they can all be thin mucus, which is this gathered type of fluid. So, um, so thinking that way can be really can be really useful. But there's other areas too that uh, even lack of energy. Remember back in Seattle, I I talked about the um, people waking up really tired. They wake up in the morning. They go, "Oh, I don't have any energy." Right? You're laughing again because <laughs> you do remember, right? Yes.
1: This is, this is a very classic, and they're kind of dizzy, and they're muddle-headed. And then a little later, their energy does come up, but it's a little bit later, after they've gotten moving. Yep. And you use the classic Stephen Clavy, the phlegm
0: flicker. Yeah, there you go. Yep, that's right. Oh, you, you left out the languid pulse. So usually the pulse on this will be, it feels slow. It feels It's really dragging its heels but it isn't if you count it it's just feels slow and these patients the other the other key symptom is they really feel queasy in the morning they don't feel like breakfast they want to they just they they go oh yeah you know if you say how's your appetite? They go oh good what about the morning oh no i don't eat till maybe 10 or 11 i can't really face it you know that's a classic thing too so what you're differentiating is is it actually a lack of energy? Because mm-hmm. if they've just rested all night, they should have plenty of energy. They shouldn't. Uh, it shouldn't be tired. But they they often will describe it as, you know, like waking up, crawling out of wet concrete, or there, or or they have a fuzzy head, or they'll say, oh, I just don't have any motivation. Oh, I feel really depressed in the morning. It's all it's all damp and and phlegm. So the flim flicker really is basically just Dang shen, gua lo pi Jur K. That's the first three. Lai foods fu, fu Ling, and Guiya and Maya. And that's the basis. But I'll often put things in like Shi pu and Yuan Ju and things like that. Because by the way, we were talking about Sanjay, and I should have added in, I forgot. You know, because san jiao is the ascent and descent, it's the pathway for ascent and descent between heart and kidneys. Sometimes to facilitate that, besides using something like jiao taiwan or, you know, those things that are meant to uh, restore it, you have to do things that clear phlegm from san jiao. For example, shi chang pu and yuan zhi. Yuan zhi is specifically noted To facilitate that ascent and descent from heart and kidneys, and and shichangpu bansha, fuling, lotus seed, another one. So those four are specifically for clearing that sanjiao pathway for the ascent and descent of heart fire and kidney water.
1: I can see too how using these aromatic, and and like slightly parching herbs, would be helpful in that sanjiao. Scenario because we're dealing with fluids. Whereas you look at Zhao Taiwan, right? And, and you're dealing with some, yeah, I mean, uh, Huanglian, I and mean, that's a very strong herb, it takes things downwards. Yep. And the Guajer takes things upwards, but it's those are more like crowbars than just kind of fanning things along the way.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, you just need to clear that pathway.
1: In talking about moving things up and down through the San jiao, we often do this kind of thing with Chinese medicine. We'll do some kind of a duoyao, where something goes up, something goes down. You were just talking about using zhi ke, which I think of as having a downward motion. Could you like pay that with, I'm sorry, uh, combine that with something like xiang fu, which takes things upwards, kind of drying and goes upward. What are your thoughts about that?
0: Well, yeah, that's the interesting thing with xiang fu. I use that a lot in an, in a number of different areas, depending on the and the dose will make a big difference with that. So, with fu, so if you are trying to uh, move things up, you want to use a really small dose, like uh, 6 to 10 grams of that. Whereas if you're trying to move Qi in the, in the lower jowl, for example, you want to use a bigger dose. And if you're trying to really move Qi, like when I say bigger, I mean 12. And a big dose for me would be 15. And that's you know that's your that's your hammer and chisel that you were talking about before. But generally speaking, these really light uh, light doses will move up, and especially if they're fragrant, like the Xiang Fu. So you remember we last time we spoke, we talked about that um, combination for qi constraint, that sort of when people are feeling down and depressed and, and so on. And I mentioned the um, the triplet that uh, my student Stella Pericleos taught me, which was uh, Yu Jin, and Chao. Do you remember that?
1: Now that you mention it,
0: yes. Yeah, that is such a good, such a good thing when people are feeling really, uh, you know, and they're, yeah, you know, I don't know if life is worth it, you know. So Mei Gui Hua, and I use small doses, six to eight grams of Mei Gui Hua, six to eight of Yujin, those are the true crucial ones. And lian chao is is a really interesting too, especially if there's any heat. But sometimes I'll take that one out and I'll mm-hmm. use a small dose of Xiang fu instead, and or or something else that is uh, that is uh, uh, fragrant, like Ho huan hua. That's another good one to add to that. Uh, or also some of the fragrant things, dai dai hua is a more unusual herb. Dai Dai Hua is one of those, it's something like a, a lemon flower or something, one of those citrus flowers, but it, um, you can get it sometimes, but it uh, frees up liver qi. And again, small doses are quite sufficient. Now, Jirka though, is interesting because, yeah, it's meant to move down just like Zhe Shih does, but then, how do you explain the effect that it gets with prolapses when you use it at twenty-four to thirty grams? So you know that's one of those I'm not so sure about the downward action. Mm-hmm. And again, like in, when I use it in the Flim flicker at fifteen grams, Dangshan uh, is twelve, Gualo is fifteen, Jirka is fifteen. Live foods that I use six grams, Fu Ling I use twelve grams. I use 10 grams. That's the flim flicker but uh, for waking up tired. But that 15 grams seems to have this upward moving, this chest freeing along with the gualope. It just opens up that uh, flow of chi through the chest. So I'm not so sure about the downward action of jerka anymore. And you could—it's the effect on prolapses is obvious with the big dose of 24 to 30 grams.
1: So I think I need to readjust my thinking here. I often think of it as, as downward, but as we're having this conversation, it's it seems like it's more that it it goes dimensionally. It goes in all directions. A little bit goes down, a little bit goes up. It's not a diaphoretic like Mahuang. Oh no, yeah. But 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 it sounds like jerk, and when I think of smelling it or tasting it, mm-hmm. it's like everything kind of like expands a little bit. Like if you imagine the lungs,
0: that's a really good way to check it out. Yeah,
1: yeah. Th- imagine the lungs as you're inhaling, and like you can feel your back expand out a little bit if you're paying attention. Mm-hmm, you feel mm-hmm. your sternum go up. Yeah, you can feel your back expand a little bit. Maybe jerk more like that.
0: Yeah, that's a great way to intuit or expand your, your knowledge of how the herbs go. And this is why it's so useful to get students in, uh, who are not only just sitting into clinic with you, but they're actually weighing out herbs, they're helping to deal with the mm-hmm. herb storage, the feeling it, right? I mean, the difference, like some of the pao Ju methods, for example, if you take mu xiang, which is a rather, it's fragrant, it moves qi, but it's rather oily, right? And if somebody has loose stool,
1: for me it is the chodofu of herbs.
0: Oh, oh you don't like it? How interesting! It's
1: very fragrant. It's very fragrant, and I don't like it.
0: Uh huh. How interesting! I don't like chodi. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, I love it. Anyway, it's each of their own. Yeah, there you go. Anyway, I'm sorry I interrupted. You were saying.
0: Yeah, when students get in and they can feel that oiliness, and then when we prepare it, we prepare the. Uh, mu with uh, glutinous rice flour now glutinous rice already mm-hmm. is good mm-hmm. for for diarrhea but when you stir fry the uh, mushang with the glutinous rice flour it actually absorbs a lot of that oil and then it becomes really useful for something like painful diarrhea as an addition to the painful diarrhea formula right so it's it's quite handy and the students can feel that, they can, they get to feel the oiliness again of Dong and, uh and how when you chow, chow Dong when you dry fry the Dong it takes that oil out. So all these effects that they have and the, and the, uh, and the way that herbs, the, the, the physical effect of the herbs is so related to not only how they look, but how they feel. That really came through when I was working on the Materia Medica. You know, in the beginning, it's all just words on paper. But after a while, you go, I mean, in, you know, as, us as Westerners, we go, wow, these guys really believe this stuff.
1: Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> I know. What? It's in a book. So what? Anybody, anybody could put anything
0: in a book. So what? Exactly. Yeah. Right. And then you go, but what if it's, what if it really does mm-hmm. work like that? And then you go, holy shit. It really works like that. <laughs> it really came home to me It was after this in-depth looking at it. First, give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, if you've got Huang Chi, it's going gonna, it's gonna to lift up, right? It's going to lift. And it's going to lift whatever you got there, right? So if you've got phlegm, and you're going to use Huang Chi, and you don't do something that helps drive that phlegm down, you're going to lift all that phlegm right up into the head and they're going to come back and go, I feel terrible. And you go, Oh, oh what did I, Oh, I forgot to put the ban in with the huangqi." Chi. So if I see any phlegm conditions and I need to use huangqi, I'll always put some ban shia. maybe not much, mm-hmm. you know, eight grams, 10 grams, but otherwise I know what'll happen. Or if you have a girl, you know, and she has acne, and there's a little bit of fire, Huang is gonna lift. That's what it does, right? It lifts. So if you're gonna do that, and she's got premenstrual acne, and you've thrown the Huang Chi in there, and suddenly her acne is just blown blown up, I mean, that might in the long run be good for her because it's actually helped to heal it. But she's not gonna want, she's not gonna feel like that when she comes back to you. If she comes back to (laughs) you. Look at my face. What did you do? Okay. Well, I, you know, you weren't, it's not that you weren't warned. There's a great quote from um, Zhang Jingyue in, you know, the Jingyue Quen Shu and the uh, Lei Jing. What's this quote? Let's see. Oh, yeah. He says, if you don't know this, don't be surprised if no one calls you clever. If you don't know this... He was talking about the continuous balance between yin and yang. But he says, if you don't know this, don't be surprised if no one calls you clever. Like, dude, you better know this.
1: It's it's fundamental material. You know, it's the
0: basics. But also fun. And these are things that you have to re you have to teach yourself again and again and i i think i, I might have used this an analogy last time but it's worthwhile repeating i had often when i'm treating placenta previa uh, which is the placenta being down close to the cervix during pregnancy usually it responds really easily to something like yi qi tang. it just lifts lift the chi it goes mm-hmm. right up it's no problem right it just happened except in this one patient it didn't so i tried it again didn't work. And finally I have to think, what's what's going Mm -hmm. on? And so, again, whenever something doesn't work, you go back to the beginning and you say, look, I've missed something, what's going on? So I go through everything again and I realize she's not only qi deficient, she's blood deficient. And then I remember fundamental Chinese medicine 101, the qi is based in the blood. Blood is based in the qi. Oh, so I tonify the blood, placenta goes up, I tonify the blood and use Bojong Ichi Tang, placenta goes up and holds, right? Because what was I was doing, I was lifting the chi, but there's nothing to support it. It would just slip right back down again. So once you've got the blood there, you lift the chi, it goes up and it holds. So it's the basics, all these things. 30 years I've been doing this and I still have to teach myself the basics again and again. It's nuts.
1: It's nuts and it's great. What we're talking about here is the thing that deeply attracts me and lets me love this medicine, because it's endlessly fascinating. And at the same time, it's the thing that drives me batshit crazy.
0: Yeah, well, let's just hope the Buddhists are right. Hope the Buddhists are right about what? Reincarnation. Maybe we can Maybe we can <laughs> get a few lifetimes to get it done.
1: <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, if you get to carry it with you, maybe. I don't know. But... Uh...
0: Oh, it's in there somewhere, Michael. It's in that. It's in that great eighth consciousness.
1: Maybe, but I. But what yeah. I do know is, I am continually going back to fundamentals. Every time I get lost, and I know when I am lost because in my head I go, according to the theory, it says, and that's when I need, I absolutely have to stop in my tracks and go, all right, what am I actually looking at? Is it hot or is it cold? Is it excesses? Or is it deficient? What is it? Yeah. And and just start over,
0: and that'll usually do it.
1: Well, it will. Yes, it'll give me a. It'll let me see what I missed. But you know, I, I had a teacher who said, "You may have heard this." He said, "You know an herb, or you know, or you know a formula, and you can say that you know it when you've used it, and it's worked, and you've used it, and it hasn't, and you know why."
0: That does sound familiar. Actually, that was something, I, I met a guy, when I was just first starting off, that's what he told me. He said, don't just pat yourself on the back if if it works for a patient, you got to think why. And then when you use the same one again, and it hasn't worked, don't just go, oh, that patient was stupid. You got to figure out why. And that's how you learn. You know, we, we go through four or five years of school, if you do. or." And you graduate and you're just beginning. You've got to prove this all to yourself. Every single little bit, every every herb, you've got to you've got to prove how it works to yourself so you know it, right? But then once you know it because you've used it, wow. That is knowledge that you can keep.
1: I often hear new students, new practitioners well, not new students, new practitioners talk about how they don't yet have confidence when they get out of school. And my thought is, you're not supposed to have confidence. You're supposed to have a modicum of competence, but that confidence, I think, comes from exactly what you talked about. We have to prove it to ourselves. It's one thing to hear it from our teacher. Yeah.
0: No, I think that's really, I think that's really true. The, the one thing beginning students, or newly graduated students have that is invaluable, that we don't, is time. Because they don't have many patients. So that's fine. You take your time, Mm -hmm. you listen to the patient, you do your thinking, you get them to come back. You know, the mistake I made when I first started, I used to have patients come back once a month because I was doing, doing herbs. And uh, really, really, when you first start off, you want them to come back every week. Most of them are happy to come back every week, especially the patients that you'll be attracting as a new, as a new practitioner, because many of them search around for new practitioners because they want that time. They want that attention. They want to be listened to. Great. Okay. You got the time. Listen to them. Have them come back next week. Listen to them again and then monitor what your treatment is doing. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, they have beginning, newly graduated students have advantages we don't have, but as you get better, don't worry about cutting your time back because you'll get different patients who don't, want to have the attention so much in the, and the time you'll get patients who actually just want to get better. They just want to be efficiently fixed. And, uh, so I really worried when I first cut back from an hour per patient to a half hour, I thought they, you know, I thought, Oh, people aren't going they to like this. They loved it. Mm-hmm. And, and I got busier, right. Then when I cut back from a half hour to 15 minutes, yeah. loved it, but you get different types of patients. I think
1: that's a really important distinction. And thanks for bringing that up. Speaking of distinctions, you were talking about tanyin a little bit earlier in this conversation, but there's other kinds of fluids, right? You got tanyin, you got, you got like water, you got phlegm, you got thin phlegm, you got like insubstantial phlegm, you got damp. So, I mean, they're all kind of fluidy things. Why can't we just treat them all the same way?
0: Yeah, that's what I thought. And doesn't work. Doesn't work.
1: <laughs> so we're back to making <laughs> distinctions
0: again. Holy smokes! Yep, that's right. So you, you think oh, you know, phlegm and damp. They, we all talk about them in the same breath, and you know. So I've got a, I've got a phlegm patient. I'll just use damp herbs, or I've got a damp patient. I'll just use phlegm herbs. Doesn't work, Michael. I've tried it. Sad to say, you have to make those distinctions. So, is it water? In other words, is it pathological water, like edema? You know, where you have to drain. Is it is it damp? Where well, you need that either that warming aspect to break that damp up and dry it out, but you also need that bland leaching aspect to help leach it out through the body. So yeah, unfortunately, if it's phlegm, you have to use phlegm herbs. If it's damp, you have to use damp herbs. And and but, you know, we were talking before about um, all the different things that can come up that we might not think of as uh, as uh, fluid problems. And there's lots. You know, I've got whole lists of in the fluid book about know, the constitutional indications of phlegm or the characteristics of typical symptoms of phlegm. And it could be things like, it's it's all over the place. It could be, you know, sluggish, incomplete bowel movements with a bit of mucus in the stool, headaches or dizziness. We know that can come from phlegm. Plumstone throat, we often think about as chi blockage, but and, and we forget the phlegm aspect to it. But there are things like... Um, even, and it's described in great detail in in the book, the sensation, and I've had patients like this, the sensation of a cold, like a a palm-sized cold feeling in the center of the back, and it's phlegm, numb areas on the body, various lumps on the body, swellings that feel different to the surrounding tissue, mouth ulcers, sores and things in the mouth, Um, all this stuff can be phlegm and especially, you know, especially when you've, you're treating them as you normally would and it doesn't get better. Think about, you know, how they say the hundred phlegm can cause a hundred strange illnesses. So think about phlegm and, and, and that's another way to hit some of these things.
1: That one about a cold palm in the middle of the back. Holy smokes! I thank you for that. I think you just gave me a new pathway to uh, look at a patient that I've currently got.
0: Mm. Well, that that phlegm can be one thing. Just by the way, another another possible cause for that can be like um, a uh, like a esophageal reflux It can also give you a similar sort of feeling. So, uh, if, if they don't have the reflux. Well, even if they do, you know, sometimes with the reflux, you can use like shrenfuhua, hua, things like that. Shuen hua is another one of those herbs I'm not a big fan of. I, seem, I don't seem to get fantastic results, even though I wish I could because it's so useful for this sticky, sticky phlegm and has this descending action. that I, I wish I could get it to work really well, but I just can't. Everybody else seems to do it, but I can't. Why, Michael? Why?
1: I have no idea. What are you thinking?
0: I'm not thinking. (laughs) It just doesn't work for me. Have you noticed like... Anyway, one day when
1: I grow up... Well, I've noticed that acupuncturists will often use certain points on a regular basis. They have kind of an affinity for them. I know for myself, there are certain points and and they're kind of like my pets. I can use them for all kinds of things. I've somehow like lung six. I've managed to use... I, I can use lung six for all kinds of things. It's incredibly useful to me. And I also notice with herbs...
0: And this is how you need to get to know the herbs, too. Same way. Yeah, that's right.
1: We do. We Which do. is a useful base, but then you've got to uh, branch off, especially when things aren't working the way you think they should.
0: Mm. And also when you're getting a bit bored, you're doing the same, you know it's going to work. You know that's, you can do. you can do this particular formula. You know for sure it's going to work, but Maybe there's another way too, right? Just for fun, just to try something else. And this is this is why this Ghani resource book is so much fun to do because, you know, there's some tricks and tips and things like that that, um, that uh, it's just worthwhile reading what other people do and some case histories. And that's why they say, you know, Chinese medicine is not a science. It's a literary art. A literary art. Because you gotta be exposed to, I mean we have so much experience. But where is it? A lot of it is is written down. A lot of it is the storehouse is our written record. And that's why I'm so pleased to see so many fantastic translators coming up. It's just unbelievable. The talent that these guys have, and all the work that's being done by so many different people of bringing these works that we need—you know—we need them as as references.
1: Two basic misconceptions stand in the way of people feeling comfortable using Chinese herbal medicine, even as they are feeling more positive about acupuncture. They are concerned about safety as herbal medicine is an unregulated industry and feel herbs are not effective to treat most conditions. Blue Poppy is committed to meeting all FDA safety regulations. All of their herbal products contain minimal or no filler to maximize potency and efficiency. Their granules are carefully manufactured in GMP-certified facilities and every batch is tested multiple times for pesticides, heavy metals, and microbial content at the manufacturer and by SGS Laboratory, a Swiss certification and inspection company. For over 20 years, Blue Poppy has made quality and safety manufacturing standards their biggest priority, resulting in exceptionally effective applied philosophy
0: oh definitely yeah that's that's and that's again what makes it fun because it grows your sense of the world Mm -hmm. and especially what's coming out recently all this new stuff about linking it in to that cycle i was talking about that yin yang symbol with earth in the middle right with the wood on the left rising up to fire at the at the top which is the which is the south, right? And then the metal on the, on the right, which is the descending aspect in the west, and then the water below. That, that cycle, when I, f- I did write about it in the, in the fluid book, when it was first published so many years ago, and it, that concept was just not very well known at that point. And I think I put in the footnotes how even these really famous chinese scholars were having lots of trouble with oh yang on the left what's yang doing on the left because of course in our culture the right side is the important one you know even in 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 french we've got adroit and gauche right in in american english we've got the right side is I don't know how to pronounce it in French. A draw, and then you've got gauche on the uh, is is the left side. So we have this real bias toward left and uh, left and right. But in the Chinese system, the left the left side is this ascending yang, going up, and then the, and then descending on the on the right. Well, side. it
1: depends on how you're facing reality, so to speak. I've heard it described that way.
0: Well, yeah, it's actually a little bit easier if you're in, if you're in the northern hemisphere. Yes, chemistry. yes, well, there
1: is that because you're in the north looking to the south, and when you're in the north looking to the south, you, you really see that, that
0: dynamic. Yeah, but learning that dynamic is so learning how, what it means to our medicine and what it means to understanding the seasons and what's around you. Man, that is you talk about an applied philosophy. This is great. You know, because it's based in perceived reality. We, we can see it. Yeah, the sun goes around the earth. Absolutely. We can see it going around the earth. We know it doesn't go around the earth, but this is our perceptive reality. And it's the same with Chinese medicine. The whole theory is doesn't have to be factually true. It has to be effectively, it has to be effective, right? So we can use this map that isn't totally accurate down to the last atom, but it works because we're using it at that particular uh, level of, uh, of appreciation. It works for us.
1: You just use the word perception, which I think is a key aspect of how we use ourselves in the process of practicing medicine how we use our sensorium, how we use our perceptual system. We're talking about our friend Dan who can like put his hands on people and feel things. And, you know, there's other practitioners, they just use their eyes. They can look at a person's face, tell a whole story. Or like you're just talking about, we can look out into nature and see certain processes and cycles and then bring that back inside and see how that might be working in our patients physiologically. You've been at this for a while. Any suggestions on developing our ability to perceive and using that as kind of a a route for understanding what's going on for our patients and how to
0: help them? Well, you know, COVID's been great for this for me. It has totally enhanced my tongue diagnosis because we're doing, I've been doing for Gosh, almost 12 months now, most of my uh, patient interaction has been by phone, Uh, not Zoom. I find patients are sick to death of Zoom. So I just do it by phone with uh, tongue photos, and they send the tongue photos through. And, of course, I no longer can use the pulse. I can't smell them sometimes, you know, and especially with phlegm patients. And I do this with students a lot. uh, A phlegm patient will leave the room and I'll bring the student in. I'll say okay what's going on with this patient and they'll go I don't know I wasn't there and they go and I go use your senses and they go oh oh the perfume oh man you know because what happens with patients with phlegm patients they can't smell right so they they put the perfume on themselves until they can smell it which is like oh my god they walk down (laughs) it's just like holy smokes so this is so um so i want as soon as somebody walks in sometimes you can you can go okay we got a phlegm situation going on here i know it and so i'll do that with students and just to get them to remember to use all their senses but for me you know generally if a patient's sitting in front of me they stick their tongue out i look at it i take a mental picture but having those physical pictures there where i can take my time and really say oh my god look look at that dent in the front oh gee it's really long you know? i mean people who are really good like uh, uh, barbara kirschbaum she'd pick that up in an instant right she would she would know that at a glance but i never really developed that as well as i have now it's just it's been great having these mm-hmm. pictures to look at so, so we're constantly developing our senses. Uh, I don't know what's going to get my pulse um, up to speed, but... Uh,
1: well, maybe just getting to see patients again and being with
0: them. Yeah, yeah, that'll help. That'll help.
1: I'd like to shift the topic for a moment because here in the United States, we have this habit. I don't know if you've got it down there in Oz as well, but there's this idea that, that you're supposed to be, air quotes here, hydrated. Right? People even come in and say things like, well, you know, I'm not hydrated enough. Always makes me go, okay, so what, how exactly does that feel? Tell me what, what's going on. What do you mean you're not hydrated? <laughs> and, you know, I wonder about like people back in the 50s. My God, they weren't drinking enough water. How'd they possibly survive and reproduce? This is big thing about drinking tons and tons of water. And, and as a Chinese medicine practitioner, when I see someone who's already full of water, and they're drinking like a gallon of water a day or whatever ridiculous amount. To me, it's ludicrous. Uh, and it's hard to get them to stop. Do you have that kind of thing down there? Do you have patients where you need to? Uh, Absolutely.
0: Yep, yep. Yeah. So we've, we've taken it all on hook, line, and sinker. Same thing. People carrying water bottles everywhere. and It gets so that the, my Tai Chi teacher at Tai Chi, he has to, he's getting people, he said, don't drink. You're in the middle of practice, you're building up your chi. Don't drink right now. You can drink later, right? They're going, but I have to hydrate, I have to hydrate. And I get patients who do the same thing. Oh, but I have to flush myself out. I say, What are you? A tube? You know, yeah, you can flush yourself out if you're a tube, but if you're actually a living organism, you have to metabolize that water. And if you're already not metabolizing it, you're adding you know insult to injury. So they say, Well, how much should I drink? I say, look drink a little bit more than you're thirsty for and of course there are pathologies that affect the thirst and and so on but we need to be dealing with that so I mean as a rule of thumb a little bit more than you're thirsty for is fine but you, you're not going to stop them they, they think it's great and and so on but that's that's what I say I say look if you want to fl- if you're a tube and you want to flush yourself out that's great but you're a little bit more complicated than that
1: I like that that that's a helpful thing that I could. I could tell my patients. I think they might get that because they think there are tubes, you know, in the same way that they go, well, I'm doing this detox right now. It's like detox. It's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm toxic. It's like, well, you know, you're actually built to detox. Really? It's like, yeah. It's like, do you poop every day? It's like, well, yes, I do. It's like, okay, you're detoxing. Oh. Good one. I like you know,
0: it. <laughs> it's like <laughs>
1: <laughs> So drink a little more than you're thirsty for. So many people don't even know if they're thirsty.
0: Well, yeah, that's what I say anyway. It's it's there's, you know, there's only look, I don't you pick your battles, Michael. I I in so many cases, you know, they go, "So what should my diet be?" And I know they've been to five other people and they've gotten five other diets. And uh I just go I don't, I don't worry about diet.
1: What do you do? I've, I've got a good answer for that one. I've got a great answer for that one. I say, well, there's some people out there that are really interested in diet, and I'm not one of them. And so you should probably talk to someone who knows more about diet than I do. Basically, my thought is you should eat a variety of things, not too much of it. And I leave it at that.
0: Yeah, that's pretty good. I I'd Sometimes if they're really hooked on it, I'll go, look. Diet is only one of the three important things that you need to know about your ability to take in food. And nobody ever talks about those other two things, do they?
1: Now you've got their attention, don't you?
0: And they go, and they, they, go. what are those other two things? I say, it's not only what you eat, it's how you eat and how you digest. I say, how you digest is my job because I've got to make sure your digestion is good. How you eat and what you eat, that's really your job. But I say, look, if your digestion is really strong, like you're a teenager, right? You can get away with the worst diet and gulping that food down like crazy. You know, It doesn't matter. But by the time you're in your late 20s, at least two of those things have to be good. Either your digestion has to be strong and you're chewing well, if that's the case, you can eat anything you want, right? But by the time you're getting older, those things are breaking down. So by the time you're my age, everything has to be right. You've got to eat the right stuff. You've got to take your time with your food, and you've got to make sure your digestion is working. So, so I try to. I say, look, there's a thousand diets out there, but these other two aspects are also just as crucial. Slow down. You know, I think it was Shi. Uh, Dan Shi if you read his original case histories he started off he didn't start off as a doctor he just started off trying to fix his mom he loved his mom but his mom had this really terrible nausea and reflux and he studied all the books and he did all the formulas and all this stuff and and he and he learned a lot about medicine in the meanwhile but in the end It came down to getting her to slow down and start enjoying and chewing her food. And so he fixed his mom, and then the neighbor came. He had the same problem. That's how you build a practice. Same answer, right? Slow down, enjoy your food. Um, I want to talk with you about your book. Oh, Oh, the new edition that's just come out from Eastland Press. I'm holding it up to the microphone here, Michael, so all of your listeners can see it. Oh, I
1: can hear the sound of, yes.
0: (laughs) It's it's actually, it is fabulous. I'm really happy with it. They've redesigned it. Dan and I spent a couple of years going through it with a fine tooth comb and and, uh, correcting a lot of the errors that were there and expanding a few little bits. Mostly the content is pretty much the same as it was in the second, uh, the Churchill Livingston edition. But the redesign makes it so much easier to read. By, they've got a fantastic book designer there at Eastland Press, and he's expanded it. That's why it looks uh, thicker, but it really, I think the I think the type is a bit bigger so as well. So it's just I'm really really happy with it. It's just out now after all these. Remember we did a podcast a couple of years ago, and I said, oh, it's just about to come out. It's almost ready. I was. I think it was like two years ago. <laughs> well, it is out now, and it's and it's fabulous. Yes,
1: you know? it is. I have a copy of it. Oh, good. And and in addition to yeah the, the the wonderful layout of it, Eastland really has that stuff nailed down. I'm old school, right? I don't like reading on computers and stuff or tablets. The quality of the paper that Eastland Press uses is so good. I, I'm a little bit of a tactile person. Something about turning a page that has substance. I don't know. It just it really does it for yeah. me. So and and of course, what's in the book is substantial as mm. well.
0: Yep. Well, I'm, I'm very happy to have it out again because, you know, over all this time, people have been um, unable to get it. And uh, people keep writing me and saying, well, when can I get it? So now I can just say, you can buy it. So there, there it is. And thanks for mentioning it, Michael. That's, that's, that's nice.
1: Well, again, it's. I think it was one of the first books when I was in the midst of learning Chinese medicine it flipped a switch in me somehow it, the way it was written, it wasn't just theory. It, it was eminently practical. And I could start to grasp the idea of these different kinds of fluids and the different kinds of things you need to do to treat each of them. Like we were saying earlier, you can't treat phlegm like you would treat water, you know? And when it comes to dampness, well, damp, cold. All right, that's actually not hard to deal with. Damp heat. Ooh, that's a that's a sticky wicket.
0: Yeah, damp heat can be really, really stubborn. And you know, there's a uh, a lot of good um, in detailed indications in the book. But I mean, there's so much you've got to put together with damp heat that to to make it work, and it varies depending on where it is and what's going on. And, I mean the middle burner really is the key with damp heat but you've got to be careful there you might be using drying herbs with the damp heat but you've got to be careful of stomach yin, for example you might use mm-hmm. bitter cold herbs to cool that heat but the cold can congeal that congeal that damp as well so it's that's because you've got these two opposing these two Contra-natured pathogens. So you've got damp, which is a yin pathogen. You've got heat, which is a yang pathogen, and they get sucked into each other and they enfold each other like oil in flour. That's what the Chinese say. and, oh. that, and the yeah, it's just so the heat like moshang and
1: glutinous rice. Pardon me, I missed that. Like moshang and glutinous oh, rice. yeah,
0: yeah now you're talking (laughs) i'm going to send you some moucham, so you can have it as tea but the but the heat will make the damp thicker the damp will hold the heat i mean the heat otherwise is insubstantial it should just be able to dissipate with no problem but that's the key with damp heat is you've actually got to fun. you've got to separate those two pathogens and then you can allow the heat to dissipate and then you can leach away the damp. But you know, just dealing with uh, damp heat, there's all sorts of strategies to use, like promoting lung chi flow to transform that damp, combining uh, pungent or acrid flavor, these dispensing opening flavors with bitter, which drains downward. Then you've got to use bland herbs that leach out that dampness, or using fragrant herbs that'll help dissipate that cloud of, of dampness that's there, uh, drying the spleen, uh, clearing heat to relieve toxicity. Because you know, once you've got these two pathogens working on each other, this they can they can that's that's where this intensity becomes that characterizes the idea of toxicity in Chinese medicine, which isn't toxic. We talked about detoxing, you know, in the naturopathic idea, detox, you get the dirt out of your body. Toxin in Chinese medicine is a quality of intensity. And when something builds up to an intense level, or sometimes when it's contagious, then you can call it toxic as well. Mm. But this Mm -hmm. intensity is what gives you the toxicity and the damp, yin pathogen working with a hot young pathogen working on each other, building each other up, making each other worse, this so easily leads to toxicity. So so to- clearing toxicity is a major part of dealing with the end results of damp heat. But then other end results of damp heat goes into the blood, goes into the nutritive chi level, you know, it really can get really deep in the body. So I mean a common example of that would be, a urinary tract infection with bleed with blood in the urine, right? That's mm-hmm. like a damp heat that has led that's gone into the blood level, right there. Or, for example, um, a reddish vaginal discharge in gynae. You know that again is damp, but that the heat in the damp has started to affect the blood vessels in the body.
1: All right now, you've got that blood moving recklessly. Yeah. Well, it's all there in the book, and uh, I, you know, again, I thank you so much for your effort on this, and thank you so much for creating with uh, Eastland Press edition three.
0: Yes, and uh, and if you uh, feel like getting some of those phlegm samples that we collected back in Nanjing from the from the great, all you have to do, you can sign up to the special. Uh, Actually, we can make it as a special with your podcast, Mike. What do you think? <laughs> Free sample?
1: Flem, you mean you mean like the herb samples? You know how students have herb samples. We're going to do phlegm samples. Absolutely.
0: Oh, it's it's. You know, you're not a real phlegm meister, a slime meister until you the have phlegm samples.
1: You know, I, I don't know what the situation is in China right now, but when I was living there in like the early 2000s, I was in Beijing, and uh, I remember one morning. <laughs> Oh my God! I remember one morning, riding my bicycle down to the hospital, and I was thinking, "Wow, the streets are kind of wet. I don't think it rained last <laughs> night." And
0: then I realized that is not rain, oh, and oh. that's when your bicycle tire started to slow down, right? And you're thinking, "Oh my God, I'm going to fall over! I'm going to fall over!" Yep, gross. But indeed, it it is
1: a way to. Uh, I mean, phlegm is actually kind of fascinating. In a, in a way, you know, especially when you're into the, you know, the medicine we're into. And I mean, it tells a
0: story. Absolutely.
1: But uh, maybe we'll leave that for another podcast.
0: <laughs> the one with the samples, right?
1: <laughs> the one with the samples. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Steve Clavey, as ever, this has been a delight. Thank you so much for joining us fun, today.
0: Michael, it's been great. Nice to talk to you and uh, talk to you next time. I so
1: appreciate Steve's down-to-earth perspective on Chinese herbal medicine. Chinese herbs are complicated, but pretty much every time I listen to Steve, I come away feeling like learning to use herbs with skill and clarity is a doable endeavor. And it's not because he's simplifying the practice, but because there's a kind of clarity and understanding of the basic principles that makes it easier to get a handle on the use of herbs. voices of our community.